Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, hey, Connect. Good to see you all. I'm glad you decided to join us today. As Alex said, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And I'm, I'm really hopeful for this time that we have together because I think we're going to be talking about something that will hit close to home for many of us. Let me ask you this to, on the front end. Who wants to see God show up in their life? I mean, I, I definitely want to see God show up in my life. Yeah, a few of us. You know, uh, this has been an expensive year for our family. Abigail, our third daughter, was born in March. We get to spend, pay for all those hospital bills. Uh, then in May, I sprained my shoulder doing batting practice, playing softball. It's not a cool story, but I can share more about it later. But I did get to pay for a shoulder procedure that's not covered by insurance, so I have that, you know, for this year. Uh, not to mention all these other unexpected expenses that have just blindsided us throughout the year. Um, also, I'd love to see God show up, like not only provision, like financial provision, but I'd love to see some healing in our family. As some of you may know, my father-in-law a year and a half ago was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called myasthenia gravis. It impacts his ability to talk, see, swallow, and we've seen that really impact him this summer. We would love to see God show up in our family and heal him. We would love to see God show up. Anyone want to see God show up? It could be for financial provision. It could be for healing. It could be for something else entirely. We all have these times in life where we need to see God show up in some very tangible, very real, physical ways. And maybe you're in one of those seasons right now where you just, you need God to show up. And if that's where you're at, my prayer for you is that you will encounter Jesus today. Because what we're going to see as we open to John chapter 4 is that when you encounter Jesus, it changes everything. So if you have a Bible, why don't you do that? Why don't you open to John chapter 4? We've been slowly kind of making our way through the gospel of John. And if you want to follow along, you can do that in your Bible. You can do it in the Bible in the back. That's a gift we have for you. Or you can follow along in the app as well. Now we've been going through the gospel of John because we want to answer a question. It's an important question. It's a controversial question. And you see it all over the screens. The question is, who is Jesus? You see, we know what our parents think. We know what our professors think. Maybe some of what our friends think in response to that question. But our answer to that question is way too important. It's way too significant for us to leave it up to someone else to decide. You see, the way we answer this question actually has an eternal implication. It's really the difference between heaven and hell for us. That's why we're taking the time to slowly look at an eyewitness account and see what John, who was a friend and follower of Jesus, who observed Jesus' life, his ministry, the death, resurrection, the whole deal, John was there for it. And then he recorded it all so that we would know who Jesus is. And we've learned a bunch about who Jesus is already. We're, you know, a few chapters in, several messages in. We've learned a lot of who Jesus is, but we're not done yet. We're really just getting started. 
But if you have missed a previous message, I would invite you to catch up on the app because really this is a journey that we're on through the Gospel of John. All right? And if you've ever thought that, you know, Jesus might be for them, but he's not for me, I really want you to listen up today because we're going to look at two encounters that people had with Jesus, two different people, two unlikely people who would definitely have thought, oh, he'd, the, the, yeah, he'd never be for me. But they experienced something different, and I, I hope that you do too. In fact, I've been praying for that this week, and why don't we do this? Why don't we pray together now before we read John 4 together? Lord, we come before you, and we would just ask that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would encounter you today. Yes, through worship, and now as we open your word, would you speak? We want to know you more. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So, little backstory. Jesus had been teaching, been ministering in Judea, and he's starting to pick up some steam. His ministry is starting to roll. People are taking notice. More and more people are believing in him, following him, and it's starting to turn the heads of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And they aren't too keen on this, so Jesus actually decides, you know, I'm going to head back up north and minister up there for a little while. Kind of get away from some of the crowds of Jerusalem and head back up north. Now, when a Jew would make such a trek, they would typically take like this circuitous route around Samaria. Because when they'd grown up, parents had told them, you got to avoid the Samaritans because you might get cooties. Not exactly. But they had been told their whole lives, you've got to avoid Samaritans. Like, the Jews wouldn't be caught dead with Samaritans. But Jesus, as we'll see in this passage, says he had to go through Samaria. You see, he didn't have to go through Samaria, at least not geographically. There was a route around, but what we'll come to find is he had to go through Samaria spiritually. Jesus didn't operate under the norms of the day. With Jesus, you kind of got to get used to different because he was about something bigger, something more meaningful than social and cultural norms, all right? So with this background context kind of on the forefront of our minds, let's read now, picking up in John 4, 4 through 26. It's a bit of a longer passage, but it's a, it's a story. It's like scene one in this encounter a gal has with Jesus. Let's see what John has to say. He says, now he, Jesus, that is, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Okay, pause for a sec. She is baffled that he, a Jewish man, is asking her, a Samaritan woman, for a drink, because that would not happen. Jesus then answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied. I don't recommend responding this way today, okay, to a woman. But Jesus says, woman, let me interpret it a little differently. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for the salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It's just like mic drop. But he didn't start with the mic drop. Jesus started with a very real physical need that he had. He was traveling in the Middle East, it's the middle of the day. Of course he's thirsty. So he surfaces this physical need he has really to identify that the woman has a spiritual need. She has a spiritual thirst, something that is yet to be quenched. And he, he kind of plays around with this. You see, she's all wrapped up in the outward appearance of a Jewish man talking to her, a Samaritan woman. But Outward appearances, social norms, cultural norms don't mean anything to Jesus. Jesus is about something so much greater. But she's not picking it up. She's not picking up what he's putting down. He's trying to have a deep, meaningful, spiritual even, conversation with her, and she's not getting it. Uh, She's skeptical that Jesus could really help her. He's like, yeah, I'll offer you living water. And she's like, well, you don't have a bucket. Well's deep. How are you going to pull that one off? But she plays along. She's polite. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Again, very practically, it's noon in the Middle East. It's hot. She came out to get some water, to quench her thirst, to bring it back to those she is with in town. There's a very real physical need. But but her physical thirst isn't what's really driving her. She's here in the middle of the day when all the other women would have come in the morning, when it was cool, because she's avoiding something. She's haunted by her past. And Jesus went there. He just went there. He said, verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. Jesus knew she didn't have a husband. She had had five husbands, and the guy she was with now wasn't even her husband. Jesus knew exactly what was happening. She came in the heat of the day to avoid the whispering of the other women, the judgmental looks. 
She didn't want any of it. She was haunted by her past. Yeah, she had a physical thirst that needed to be quenched, but she had a much deeper thirst that had yet to be quenched. She's six relationships deep. She's searching for something. She wants to be known. She wants to be accepted. But all she knows, all she knows is shame and rejection. So she's feeling a little awkward. She's feeling exposed. So she changes the, she changes the topic. She's like, oh, yeah, 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 I can see you're a prophet. You know, us Samaritans, we worship over here at Mount Gerizim. And, you know, you Jews, you say it has to be in Jerusalem. She, she's focused again kind of on this physical, the, the geography. And, and Jesus is like, no, no, like, that's not important. Like, here's the deal. That's actually not as important as you think it is. Because God is spirit and he wants people who are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's about the heart condition, not your physical location. And then the, the woman made one last ditch effort to try to, to skirt the whole issue. This became a real awkward conversation for her. She's just trying to get out of it. But Jesus seizes this opportunity to really land the plane, to make his point. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. That's where the mic dropped. Uh, you see, with the woman at the well, Jesus used a physical need to reveal a spiritual reality. He, he used his need and her need to realize, hey, look, there's something better. There's something more. You don't just need this water from a well. You need living water. And it wasn't until this gal, this Samaritan woman, met Jesus that for the first time in her life, she felt fully known and fully accepted. She had known shame and rejection, but now, in the presence of Jesus, she was fully exposed. Her sin was on display. He knew exactly what her story was. And yet he accepted her. He loved her. And I don't know, well, let me say this. So, so he, she experiences this, okay? It's a moving experience for her. And then the disciples, they start to come back from town. They have lunch, okay? And she bolts. Like she, she drops her water jar and she is off to the races. She has to go tell everyone, friends, family, neighbors, all the people. She has to tell about this encounter she's had with Jesus. All right? Now, when I, when I look at this, I, I have to wonder, you know, there's so many different things that we could be running from. Maybe, maybe you're running from relational hurt. It could be a, a financial mishap that is just haunting you. It could be a hobby that became a habit and now it's an addiction. I don't know what you're running from, but let me tell you who you should run to. You've got to run to Jesus. You see, he sees you. He sees you right where you are. He knows you. He accepts you. He accepts you in the middle of your mess. And he loves you way too much to let you stay there. That's who Jesus is. And that's why when she encounters him, she has to go and tell people about it. We want to see God show up and meet a physical need. We want to see him show up in our lives. What if our physical need is the open door that Jesus walks through for our encounter with him? What could that look like for you in your life right now? 
just as he revealed that he's this long-awaited Messiah, and, and the woman bolts to town, the disciples, as I mentioned, they show up, and they don't get it. They, they don't really understand what's going on. And this is how scene two unfolds. Now in verse 27 and following, just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields, they're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor." So the disciples show up on the scene. They see him talking to a woman. They know that's not normal, but they also know at this point, Jesus is a little different. He goes about things differently. So they don't, they don't bring it up. And through this encounter, what Jesus is showing them is who he's for. Who he's for, what he's about. You see, he's for the marginalized. He's for the outcasts. He's for sinners, people like you and me. That's who Jesus is for. And what's he about? He's about this spiritual awakening that's about to take place. He, you see, the, the disciples are concerned with giving him food, you know, kind of meet another physical need. But Jesus, Jesus sees something so much greater is taking place. At this point, the crowd is starting to form. They're coming out from the town. The, the woman has gone back. She's proclaimed, hey, you've got to, this could be the Messiah. You've got to come see. And they're making their way out and the disciples are looking at him, but Jesus is looking out and he's seen this take place. And he's like, look, you got to open your eyes. You got to look up. God's doing something so much greater than just meeting a physical need. And when I look at this story, I got to be honest with you, I'm pretty convicted by it because there's this woman who uh, was an outcast, marginalized, had not much going for her culturally, had a whole lot of baggage, and when, when she encounters Jesus, she urgently went and shared him with others. She couldn't, she dropped her water jar, she just went for it. And I have been following Jesus for years, and yet I, I lack that level of urgency. Like, it's gotta stop. I, I gotta put down my phone and talk to the person next to me in line. I gotta be willing to pause from a workout to carry on a conversation with someone. I need to be late for a meeting because I'm helping someone on the side of the road. Why is it that for many of us who have been following Jesus for some time, we're less urgent about sharing Jesus than the person who just encountered him for the first time? Why is that? I don't know why, but it's gotta stop. If we truly believe Jesus is who he says he is and we proclaim he is, we, of all people, should love the person in front of us by sharing the hope that we have 
in Jesus. We got to be like the woman in this way. Jesus didn't even have to tell the woman, like, go tell people to come and see me. She just did it. She encountered Jesus. She wanted others to know, so she just did it. On the other hand, Jesus had to kind of explain to the disciples, like, look, this is kind of what's happening right now. There's a harvest coming, and you got to go, got to go be a part of this. We're going to reap what's been sown. The next scene unfolds this way. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The the people came and they saw Jesus because of the message, the the proclamation, the testimony that the woman was running through the streets shouting. They come and they see, and some believe because of what she said, but when they encountered Jesus for themselves, it says many more believed in Jesus. And Jesus spent a couple days there, and then after his his work there was done, the gospel had, had been planted was starting to grow and and more and more people were coming to understand. He continued his trek with his disciples back up north, heading back to to Cana in Galilee, where he first performed a a miracle where he turned water into wine. Nate preached on that a couple weeks ago. He, He arrives back in Cana and Galilee, and then another unlikely person encounters Jesus. So here's a here's our second account, all right, of someone who wouldn't, we wouldn't think would encounter Jesus, or Jesus wouldn't entertain them, but he definitely did. I mean, just listen to this. John 4, now 46 through 54, he says this. Once more he, Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Now, unlike the woman at the well who initially had no idea who Jesus was, this royal official had some inkling as to who he might be. He had heard the rumors. He had heard about the healing and, and, and the, the signs and the wonders, all these things. He'd, he'd heard talk of it because he comes running up to Jesus. But most wouldn't have thought that he would have been bold enough to do it. Here's the enemy of the Jews. Jesus was a Jewish teacher, a Jewish rabbi. This guy was a royal official. The enemy of the Jews, the oppressing, the oppressing nation He's the the, the law enforcement officer. I mean, yet 
He had a need, a very real need, a very physical need. His son was on his deathbed. So he comes running up to Jesus, and he, he wants Jesus to heal his son. And the good news for him is that just like social and cultural barriers don't mean much to Jesus, neither do political barriers. So when this guy asks Jesus to heal his son, to come with him, well, you know, Jesus actually didn't go. He didn't, he didn't go and do what the man said. He said, no, 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 just go. Your son will live. And this guy, he was in the military. He understood what it was like to receive orders, to follow orders. So he did just that. Except this time, it took a whole lot of faith. Because he thought he was walking back to what could be a funeral. But on his way, his servants meet him and share the news. His boy is alive. And then he, he connects all the dots about when it happened. And he's thinking back, oh yeah, Jesus said, your son will live at that time. And he's like, what? Jesus, Jesus is unlike anyone else here. He just healed my son. He healed my son physically, even though he wasn't physically present. You see, Jesus has that kind of power. And some of us, we kind of want to, to tap into that power for us, for our situation. Jesus has that kind of power. And the amazing thing is that when Jesus shows up like this, when, when Jesus uses his spiritual power to physically hear, heal, this guy connected all the dots and he believed. His whole household believed, everyone. He's telling it to everyone and it, it, those he loves, you wouldn't believe what happened. I told him to come, he told me to go, and on my way back, you shared the news. Our son is better. He's healed. What would it look like for us to take Jesus at his word? Like we want him to show up in a very real, very physical way in our life. What would it look like for us to take him at his word? What would it look like for you to take him at his word? Maybe it was something you read in scripture this week and you know you need to be obedient to that or something someone shared with you in love. I don't know how you've encountered him recently, but what would it look like for you to follow him and do what he said you should do? After all, James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, he said it this way, talking about faith, faith working itself out. He said, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. The faith that we're called to in Jesus isn't passive believism. We're called to, to put feet to our faith. Like our faith should be evidenced by the way we live our lives because of the one who we follow. So when, when we hear God speak to us through his word or through a message or through a person or all the other numerous ways that he could choose to speak to us, we need to be obedient and do that thing. You know, we come to, to Jesus with our need. What's he saying to us in return? This isn't some recipe like, or if this, then that formula, okay? We're, God's not Santa Claus. He's not a genie in a bottle. Our God is better than that. What we see here in this passage is that God is good. He is really good. He sees us in our situation. He sees us in our hurt. He accepts us and he loves us. Our God is gracious. Whether we do the thing or we don't, God just pours out favor. He just pours out 
grace. Our God is glorious, and you see, when He moves, He deserves all the glory. He deserves all the praise, all the credit, because when He moves, it's undeniable. And when He moves, all we can do, all we can do is believe. Just like the, uh, the royal official and his family, then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. He, so he and his whole household believed. What would it look like for us to have that kind of faith that it actually impacts those around us, that others have greater faith because of our own experience with Jesus, the faith that we have in him? When, when Jesus healed the official son in a moment from a distance, it all clicked. And nothing could stay the same for this royal official and his, his family. So we have these two stories. We have the woman at the well, and we have this royal official. And from these stories, we see that sometimes our physical needs are the open door that Jesus will use to meet a spiritual need, a much greater, much deeper spiritual need. We also see that sometimes our physical needs are what Jesus will use to actually inspire belief in us and belief in others. Whether God shows up in our life like he did for the Samaritan woman or for this royal official, what we can know is that our physical needs present an opportunity, an opportunity to encounter Jesus. And may we not be so wrapped up in the physical that we miss the spiritual. Because here's the deal. When it comes to Jesus, we want to see, but he wants us to believe. And he knows that when we encounter him, it's going to lead to believing in him and inviting others to Jesus too. And when I think of this, I think of Alex and Morgan Goldstein, okay? And what it looks like to let that experience with Jesus just ooze out of you, change the way you live, and want others to experience it too. Just two very quick stories. One, I heard that Morgan was on her way to have her nails done recently, and on the way, she felt prompted to change the direction and instead go to her friend Hannah's house to pray for her. She had just had knee surgery. So Morgan did just that. Another story. Alex has met Gabriel. Gabriel works here at the rec center, and he's a very evangelistic Muslim. Now, Alex is talking with Gabriel, and Gabriel's like, well, have you ever read the Quran? And Alex said, no, I haven't. So he's like, well, you should read it. And Alex said, okay, I'll read the Quran if you'll read this book. And he gave him the case for Christ. And since then, Alex has tried to connect with Gabriel to carry on the conversation. It was hard to, you know, connect. So what he did is he scheduled a personal training session with Gabriel so that they could have a conversation between sets. Brilliant. Both Alex and Morgan were willing to sacrifice personal time to advance the gospel. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Because we have a woman who is the talk of the town, who Jesus used to tell the town all about him. We have a royal official who believed and it influenced his whole household. Alex and Morgan were willing to, to sacrifice personally to love the one right in front of them. Just as God through Jesus loves them. What are you gonna do? Because your story of encountering Jesus is meaningful. And when you share it, it's powerful. So powerful. Let me pray for us. Lord, would you give us the boldness 
to share our encounter with you, our experience with you with others? Would you help us to that end? And Lord, for those of us who do have very real, tangible, physical needs in our life right now where we need to see you show up, with all the faith we can muster, we ask, would you please show up? It might not be what, it, what we think it'll look like, but would you show up? And when you do, would it be undeniable so we can give you the praise? In Jesus' name.